It's the week of December 11th, 2019. New comics are out, and your Kingdom Casts podcast is a day late. Well, we apologize. Sometimes life happens. Hey, but this week is a great bat week. We've got four really, really, well, we got three really, really good bat books, and one is pretty good. You, you got to see the art in it. Hey, somebody comes out of a closet this week at the Daily Planet. What did Albert think? of Clark Kent revealing himself to the world as Superman. Also, we've got a couple of reviews on Undiscovered Country, that weird, wild, wacky stuff coming out from Image Comics, written by Zack Snyder. And we've got a few listener questions, one very poignant listener question about a comic being snatched up off the shelf this week. So welcome aboard, sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming into the studio and recording this on your birthday. <laughs> yeah. It's been a non-eventful birthday, so it's ain't no big deal. <laughs> I got some underwear. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always, everybody can always use underwear. There's no such thing as too much underwear. There's no, there's not. <laughs> there's a few big name comics that have come out, and... It looks like a pretty interesting week. Yep, it's a very interesting week. And listen, before we get started, I've got a question for you. I was kind of running this around in my head earlier. Given what we're currently experiencing, both at Marvel and DC, where some what should be major brand names like Iron Man and Justice League, I'm not going to put Batman into this, but uh, let's say Iron Man and Justice League and Flash has some examples at the moment. Do you think it feasible for more for both Marvel and DC to change to a format where it's okay if they want to tell a story in continuity and a book can denote it, but you don't necessarily need ongoing titles in continuity? If you've got a really good Fantastic Four story that's going to take six to 12 issues, then by all means, go ahead, write it up, get it drawn, put it out in the allotted time. But you don't have to have an ongoing Fantastic Four book. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be what we're probably slowly getting to anyway. It just seems like it, it's a it's a crush. You, you had said something about the Justice League that if everything is ultra-cosmically spectacular, then nothing is ultra-cosmically yeah. spectacular. A lot of the time, some of them seem to be writing them into a corner. I say this, and then I think of Hickman's Renaissance with the X-Men. And while not all of the books are working, while there's two books in that renaissance that aren't working, in my opinion, Fallen Angels and Excalibur, for the most part, this is just brilliant stuff coming out monthly. But it's not always been like that. I mean, how long has it been since me personally was excited about X-Men? It's been a very long time. Yeah, I think DC seems to be going down that path a little bit faster. Yeah. You know, the books that everyone that, that just sort of continually sold over all the years for things like, things like well, Watchmen, but that was just a self-contained thing. Things like Kingdom Come, Dark Knight Returns, those were books that trade paperbacks that always sold and they're, they're considered evergreen titles. Yeah. And I think the plans to sort of continue to do that, like, because they can still make money off for the time being off doing just standard continuity stuff. But things like the DC Black Label is meant for people to just show up, write a story arc however they want to, whenever they want to, and, and then just be done afterwards. They don't have to worry about continuity or anything. 
Yeah, like Sean Murphy on Batman White Knight. Yeah. He he takes what he wants and he puts it in whatever story format he wants to tell his story. And, you know, Batman White Knight has been just, both volumes of it has just been outstanding. Yeah, and they announced volume three too, so. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was just wondering what the feasibility of this is because I, I, I hear a little bit about burnout from some people. Like there's, I, I'll go ahead and say it, there's one Iron Man fan in particular and they have just completely burned him out by not having anything that is really a significant, relevant Tony Stark story since Civil War. Yeah, they really don't know. I, I don't think they really know what to do with Tony. I agree with that. But I also feel the same way about Flash. I mean, you know, once Barry Allen, once after Flashpoint and we had Barry Allen back, he went, in my opinion, he went downhill fairly quickly. And they seem to be struggling with him. And these are two characters that deserve better than this. Deserve top-notch story. Well, the thing with Barry, Barry should have probably just stayed dead. I tend to lean toward that. But of course, you know, I'm one of these people that watch Barry die in crisis. And for, what, 30 years, it was Wally. And yeah. we had all grown to accept that it's Wally and Barry's not coming back. There were plenty of back doors to walk Barry into. Wolfman and Perez... Yeah, had Barry in the Legionnaire's future. So at any given time, he could have left the future so long as he returned to it before he was kidnapped by the Anti-Monitor. Yeah. They just never pulled the trigger on that. It was more like nostalgia that brought him back. When they brought him back, I don't think he should have been flashed right off the bat. Yeah. I think there, there should have been some type of slow lead in for him going back to being a full-time hero of some sorts. Should have still been Wally, and, and Barry should have just been there to sort of get his life in order. And occasionally he would show up as the Flash when they needed an extra speedster. I agree wholeheartedly with that. That would be something easier to pull off when you have a story idea saying, oh, this is the angle we, we take, rather than something that's got to meet a monthly deadline, or in some cases, two times a month. Yeah. And I'm beginning to think that this is this two times a month thing is wearing on a number of not just fans, but uh, the storytelling quality in it. The Amazing Spider-Man, well, it's been good and it has really good issues and it has OK issues. But if it was only coming out once a month, that would require having a little more punch each issue. You may be able to upgrade the OK issues to really good issues if you didn't have to come out two times a month now. Action, who all's on that list? That's Batman, Amazing Spider-Man, Action, Superman, Detective. Dear Lord, I know there's more Marvels on it, Justice too. Yeah, Justice League. Justice League. still sort of on that list, too. Mm -hmm. Well, you notice the X titles are coming out once a month. Yeah. I would have thought that, oh, they would have been shoving X-Men down our throat every two weeks. But no, that's not the case. And, and you know why that's not the case. It's because Hickman said... This is not going to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just curious about that. I think I think it would be an interesting format. And I kind of think at this point, if it's not at this point, then we're getting to the point fairly quickly where it would benefit comic books. Well, they're going to have to do something because, I mean, people aren't going to spend $4, $5 for a digital comic. No, they're not. The way digital beats comic books is if it becomes animated and taking a few cues from into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, except for five to 15 minute segments, depending on what you're doing there. I flash back to Egon and the original Ghostbusters. Print is dead. 
You know, he said that in 1984, 85, whenever Ghostbusters came out. You can almost, if you squint your eyes and you look around at what's going on with the emojis and all the digital and how easier it's becoming, it's not print that's dead. It it looks like words are about to be dead. <laughs> I think most of it just has to do with how much value you get out of your money. Like, look well, how yeah. much all these streaming services cost and look how much a single comic book cost. Yeah, exactly. You get a month's worth of content compared to... Well, dear Lord, when you, break it, comics, when you break it you down know? like that, Disney Plus is $7.99 a month, and look what you've got on there. Uh, yeah, a yeah. Mandalorian every week. You get access yeah, I, I, to all their movies and those shows and everything. That's exactly right. $7.99, that's a penny less than two comics minus taxes. Yeah. So, yeah, we're headed towards something here where something's got to give. Now, on the upside of comic books and shipping news, Diamond came out with some new heavy-duty shipping boxes, which they estimate will reduce damages to comic books by 30%. I don't know. I don't know. Most of our problems really wasn't the boxes. It was how they packed them sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. It was all in the packing and all, and it was very rarely... You could tell when it was uh, UPS. You remember when we'd have to call it in, we would tell our customer service rep, Mary, it's UPS because it, it was damaged in shipping. We can see it on the box. But the majority of the time, it wasn't damaged in shipping. It was damaged in the packing. Yeah. Or they'd get like a full box and put one thing in it or stuff like that, which, which would cost the comics or whatever to move around or, or how they would send the non-comic book stuff where it would be like, here's a, here's a box and just here's all your toys, statue, t-shirts are all just thrown into this one box. Yeah. And sometimes, oh, here's these rare variants. We've just tossed them in between these yeah, two. I don't know why, boxes. where that came from. Well, the variants were packaged separately. And uh, most of the time, the very rare variants were kept off of the floor for the exact same reason that you don't want to throw the rare variants into a toy box. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But kudos to Diamond for stepping up, and at least they seem to be serious about looking into these things. Problems that have been around for years and all, they seem to be trying to take steps toward yeah. them. So, at, at, at the worst, you know, they're at least a really great box to move in if you ever move. <laughs> That's exactly true. We had so many uses for those boxes outside of shipping comics. <laughs> those are some great moving boxes. Yeah. Well, we've got a number of comic books out there this week, Albert. What say we start with one of the most anticipated releases of the year, issue number two of Undiscovered Country by Snyder and Charles Soule and art by Giuseppe. Come and Collie. What was your take on it? I still really like it. I think I liked issue one a little better. Maybe because I just didn't sort of, I didn't spoil myself on anything, so I didn't know really what I was getting uh, into going into it. But yeah, issue two held up real well. I really liked it. Well, issue one had that initial slap you in the face shock value. We all had yeah. our preconceived notions about what it was going to be. And at least on my end, it turned out to be absolutely nothing like what I thought it was going to yeah. be. It's still... Uh, outstandingly issue number two is still an outstandingly weird book and the mystery uh, the plot thickens the mystery deepens we get a twist we don't really expect or see coming it, it's just really a whacked out world there yeah something like they need i need to get keys to some doors or something i don't know it's just strange 
Yeah, it's very surreal. But you know, knowing Snyder and all, it'll be explained as it goes as it goes yeah. along. This is where Snyder shines in his own realm with his own reality, where he's creating his own rules, and he doesn't feel that he has to live up to expectations on anything because he's he's discovering this as he goes in his storytelling. Yeah. So far, this is a really, really terrific ride still. Well, I'll readily admit it didn't hit the heights of number one. I'm down for the ride in a discovered country. I, I'm curious where Snyder's going to take this. He's got me hooked. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very good book. All right. Well, what was your breakdown on it? I guess writing a five, the art of five, and dynamic of five. Cool. I gave the writing a five, the art, I, I'm, I still stuck with the four on art and the dynamic of five. So basically, you know, a, a high four, almost a five. But yeah, still well worth your money, engaging. It's weird and it's wild and it's nothing like you expect it to be. Now, due to some other situations going on this week, I didn't get to read Second Coming number five. Is this the end of the Second Coming series? No, not even close. No, Not even... it, no, it's still a continuation of uh, Satan's trying to get involved so him and God have a talk and God just sort of shuts him down on the whole thing. Well, how many more issues do we have to go, do you know? I don't know. I thought maybe it was 12 or so. Okay, 12 is great. For some reason, I was thinking it was six. Maybe it's just six. I'm not too sure, but, but it, it seems like it'd have a lot to wrap up on issue six. Well, we have been recommending Second Coming uh, the issue by issue play, one issue will be really, really outstanding. And then another issue will just be, you know, it, it's pretty good. It's okay. Yeah. And and it doesn't further. So where is number five on this? Is this a really outstanding issue? Yeah, the writing is always great to me. It's the art that's sort of always the, the coin toss on it. Yeah. So like writing, I gave a five. The art, art I gave a three. And the dynamic, I gave a four. All right. So you're basically coming out at a four there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I still highly recommend it. I remember the last issue we reviewed, Richard Pace's art seemed like he didn't have time to finish it in a couple of places. Yeah. So this is still an outstanding series. You're still standing behind it. I'm still standing behind it, and I haven't even read issue number five yet. I hope it's more than just six issues. It seems like it'd have to be with what you're saying. I'd have to look it up, but it seems like after this issue, there's still a considerable amount of stuff to keep to do with it. Okay, now you also read another one I was unable to read. Red Mother Number 1, writer Jeremy Hahn and Danny Luckert on the art. Yeah, uh, issue one was real good. You really don't know what's going on. Pretty much what it amounts to. This woman and I believe her, her boyfriend are going for a walk. And just out of the blue, he gets snatched by someone in the dark alley and just disappears. And she loses an eye. Then... You deal with her and everything. Like as far as her characterization and the writing for her, it's really, really good. She sort of sees in red and sees someone that's not really there. It sort of ends on that. We really don't know what's quite going on yet. But I really enjoyed Red Mother number one. I thought it was a pretty good book. A very good start to the comic, at least. I look forward to that. I've still got that on my reading list. The week just kind of caught up with me with the editing and everything on Media Mess and such. Yeah. So, but okay, I, so... I give, I, overall, we'll just say a four. It's, it's a solid read. I'd give issue one a shot and just sort of go from there. I guess the, the closest thing, if you've read any of the, like, Jeff Lemire's independent stuff, is sort of in line with that to me. Like, if, if you like that, that tone of a comic, you'd probably enjoy this. So you're you're saying it's worth the money? Yeah, I'd give it a shot. 
Moving right into things here, let's jump into Marvel Comics this week. We've had a pretty good run of Marvel stuff that came out this week. They really seem to be shoving everything out right before Christmas. Yeah. Let's let's start off with the Annihilation series. Annihilation Scourge had two issues come out this week, and I was pleasantly surprised with the three issues last week, and I was also very pleasantly surprised at the two issues they put out this week. So both the Annihilation books, Silver Surfer and Beta Ray Bill, Really, really just as strong as the books I thought that came out last week as well. So I'm really drawn into the Annihilation Rogue series. Yeah, these one shots for Silver Surfer and Better Ray Bill were real, real good. I've enjoyed them greatly as well. They've, they've done a good job on it all. It looks like there's been a directive that's been sent down from the top on Silver Surfer, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it seems like they're getting him evened out and ready to do something big with. Yeah, it really does. Starting with Silver Surfer Black, which if you didn't read that series, we highly recommend picking it up in hardcover or trade form. Yeah. That was an outstanding. Yeah, that's that's a possibly top five of the year type book on Silver Surfer Black. Artwork and everything, and this book feels like it just came off of Silver Surfer Black. Even though we have a different artist on it, Paul Davidson, it's still top-notch work. Dan Abnett uh, wrote Annihilation Rogue Silver Surfer. Yeah, you're seeing the reformation of a character. You're seeing focus being put on who he is and where he's going. So you know something's coming down the road with the Silver Surfer yeah. relatively soon. And I'm pretty sure it has something to do with the symbiote god Null. Still, it, it looks like they've got big things ahead for Norrin Rad. Annihilation Rogue is is furthering that story. Annihilation and Scourge. Annihilation Scourge is for, <laughs> Annihilation Scourge is furthering that story. Yeah. And the Beta Ray Bill, that was just great. That was kind of a fun one shot. It was. I, and it had uh, Lockjaw in it, and I really like it with Lockjaw when he's not in a book with other Inhumans. So. Oh yeah, that's always that's always been my thing. Kill off the other Inhumans, but keep Lockjaw around. Yeah. I always wanted Lockjaw to go live with Ben Grimm, but now that I see him with Beta Ray Bill, I, I that that looks right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Michael Morici wrote Annihilation Scourge, Beta Ray Bill, and Alberto Albuquerque uh, was responsible for the art. I gave both of these books solid fours all the way across. Those are fair scores. That'd pretty much be what mine would be. And, if, and I recommend the Annihilation Scourge event completely. And I think next week we should get Omega, the finale. I, I did not expect to like this. I'm enjoying this. That's something I don't typically do. It took me a little while to get into the original Annihilation. But uh, right well, out of the gate. Well, I, I think what helps is it's told in one shots. Yeah. And all the one shots are really more about the characters than they are the the can the canterverse stuff could almost be replaced with anything. Yeah. If you like the characters, they're all written well under one shot, so you'll like the one shots. I like that we do again, I do like that we seem to be seeing continuity and editing yeah. on these things with the uh character with Silver Surfer being affected in one book and showing up in another book and still having to deal with the events from the previous limited series. So that, that's something that gets lost a lot of the time now. Yeah. Real quick, we'll do Star Wars Target Vader. This ended that series. It had introduced a new bounty hunter to us whose job was to take out Vader, and that kind of went awry. There's a bit of a twist to it, and because it's a series finale, what we're going to do is we're going to give it an overall grade and whether or not you should buy the trade paperback. Uh, overall, I, I enjoyed the story more than I probably thought I would. So yeah, I'd recommend get, like you know reading the whole thing. 
Okay, so it's a uh, buy the trade for you. Yeah, I, I did buy it. Okay, it's also po- sets up, I think, a, a bounty hunter book. Yeah, it does. An ongoing Star Wars yeah. bounty hunter book coming out in 2020. Well, we'll be seeing pretty much all of these bounty hunter characters again, the ones that didn't die in this. Yeah. Zombie Thompson did a good job on story. The art, the art was kind of in and out for me. Overall, I'd give it a, a score of three and say, look, you know, definitely if you're a Star Wars fan check it out. Probably not the best place to start in with the Star Wars comic books, though. No. Yeah, I think the art is just sort of average. It doesn't really... I guess it tells a story, and that's about it. So, I, like, overall, I give the, the writing a four, and the art and dynamic probably a three. I gave the writing a four. The art... I gave a three. The dynamic, I gave a three. It ended up being basically a low th- uh, 3.5. Yeah. So, Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if you're a Star Wars fan, definitely pick up the trade. You know, if not, it's a good story, but probably not the best place to start in the Star Wars comics. Let's see why they didn't give us a Mandalorian one-shot or something. I do know the answer to that. They want it to play out on television first before they start doing tie-ins. It also depends on how tight Season 2 is with Season 1. Yeah. Yeah, they want to keep that going there. Well, yeah, but they could have done something that... I mean, he was a bounty hunter before he found the baby Yoda. They could have just done some random stories of him hunting bounties before he got them. Well, I imagine that's exactly what we're going to get when we see some specials, some comic books and such from him, is stories from pre-baby Yoda time. Okay, while we're out there on the outer rims of Marvel, let's talk Doom 2099 by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Castillo doing the art on it. We didn't have high praise for either of the 2099 books last week, did we? No, not really. This one I like, though. Yeah, I did, because it's it's kind of like a one-shot standalone Doom story. Yeah. Yeah, and when is Doom not Doom? <laughs> it's an interesting twist, and I enjoyed it. Definitely eons better than the Doctor Doom limited series they've got going on, written by that Cantwell guy. Chip Zdarsky is just knocking it out of the park with everything he writes here lately. If you're a Doom fan, or if you're a Fantastic Four fan, I do recommend picking up Doom 2099. I gave the writing a 4, I gave the art a 3, and the dynamic... It's a 2099 dynamic, It's so it's going to get a 3 with... I hate revisiting old ideas that couldn't find a foothold when they were initially out, but this is a good story, thanks to Chip, so I give it a 3.5. Yeah, that's my score... 3.5 3.5 sounds low, but it's written very, like, it's worth it just for the, yeah. the writing. And it's, it's just a one-shot, so you just read it and sort of, until they want to do something different with it or new with it, you're just sort of done with it at the end. Exactly. This is a good, quick in and out on it. All right, well, let's talk some mutants here. <laughs> it was a pretty interesting week. Fallen Angels came out, but we had said the last time Fallen Angels came out, and until something changes with it. We're just not going to go back to it. Yeah, there's no point. Yeah, yeah we're not really True, recommending man. Fallen Angels or Excalibur, either one at the moment. But there is plenty good in the X-Men universe. There's way more good than there yeah. is bad. New Mutants, number three, by Hickman and Ed Brisson came out this week. Rod Reese on the art. This was actually a complete change in dynamic for the book, wasn't it? Yeah, is it like a fill-in arc or something? Well, I think what they're illustrating to us is that the New Mutants, while we've started off and we've had the first two issues, were about the classic New Mutants, Magic, Sunspot, Cannonball, Danny, uh, and Rain, that 
this book is actually going to cover all of the New Mutants that came after the New Mutants as well, like Generation X, Emma Frost's Academy, Hellfire Academy, yeah, and the New X-Men, the Young X-Men, and all of this. They're all stationed together in their little quadrant on Krakoa, and this book will be shifting focus back and forth between different stories. And this kind of is where the idea for what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast came from. It's an ongoing title, but it's actually different stories jumping from, you know, one story situation to the next. And I I think this is real innovative of them, and I applaud them for it because as much as I love and enjoy reading the original New Mutants, I very much enjoyed this story as well. Yeah, I've always enjoyed Beak and Angel and all the characters that Morrison introduced in his run. Yeah. And, the, and outside of like Quentin, they don't, a lot of them don't ever get used as much as they, I'd like them to. So it's always good to see them when they do use them. Really, really is. Armor and yeah, that armor. line, that line in it about you know, why didn't we tell anybody where we're going? Because we don't need them to send Wolverine and him showing up and panicking people. And then the line at the end of the book, you think this is why they send Wolverine first? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just funny, clever, same feel to it, different cast and different art on it. This is a smart way to do this comic book. Yep. And yeah, and I didn't see it coming. I applaud them for it. I thought the writing was a four, the art a four, the dynamic a five, so four point five. It's kind of like a box of chocolates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I that's fair. Yeah, I'd, I'd give that same score to this comic. I, yeah. And I was thinking about Beak when Hickman first started X Men. I didn't know where where he was at. I don't. I, it's been so long since I've really gave a crap about X Men. I lost track of, of what happened to him. But he hadn't forget it. No mutant has been forgotten in this. It sort of goes to them. I, I assume editorials on top of everything, with along with what Hickman wants to do. Yeah. Also, New New Mutants allows them to cross a bunch of T's and dot a lot of I's as far as where people are at and what to do. Hey, I'm sorry. Cross a bunch of what? <laughs> Cross a bunch of T's and dot a bunch of I's. What'd I say? I, I don't know. It could be it could be where I'm recording from at the moment. It could be my headphone. I, I, it sounded a little different. Like I said titties or something? <laughs> Moving right along. Something else I like about this and I like about all of the X books is the info pages are growing on me. The interruption with the text pages. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really, I'm really coming to appreciate those the more and more, the deeper and deeper we get into this. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. But yeah, New Mutants, if you're not reading it, you should pick it up. It's an outstanding book. It's trying out a strange new format. Now we move on from that into X-Force, written by Benjamin Percy and art by Joshua Cassara. Okay, X-Force number three. Finally, we got a couple of the answers we've been tossing around there. You know, did, did everybody have a life-after-death plan except Xavier? We see him bring Xavier back in this issue. It's sort of odd that they're doing that in this book and not the main X-Men book. But... I'm actually good with this because you see the formation of the X-Forces, the Wetworks group at the end of it, and it's Xavier that gives the order. It's not Magneto or Apocalypse. When they've got that guy on that table and, and he gets killed, is that, was that supposed to be Black Tom? I don't think we're supposed to know who it is. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to know who it is. I looked at it, I put a little bit of thought into it, and then I thought, no, it's indiscernible. You know, just like trying to zoom in on when Mary Jane whispered to Mephisto at the end of One More Day. 
you're, you're not supposed to be able to tell who this is. This was a heck of a book. It's outstanding dialogue. The art, the art's still weaker to me, but I gave the writing a five on it. I gave the art a three. I gave the dynamic a five. We're talking a high four here, 4.5 or better for me on X-Force number three. Really, really enjoyed that. And you know you're going to see some freaky stuff with the Cerebro sword in the future. Yeah, that's sort of weird. I gave it fours across the board. I'm okay with art. I like the art, so... Yeah, no, that's fair. I I mean, I'm back and forth on the art. It works in the book. He's not overly distracting. He doesn't take you out of the story, but it's just a solid, solid story. Each issue just gets better and better with that. We greenlight both X-Force and New Mutants. Again, we're not as hot on Fallen Angels. I did thumb through it, and it's... It's getting worse, in my opinion. Moving on from the New Mutants and X-Force, did you read Punisher Mother Russia? No, I am going to read it within the next day or two, but I have not read issue two yet. Because I really, really like issue one. Well, then let me just share real quick on it. If you're a Punisher fan, this book is a 5. If you're not a Punisher fan, this book is a 4.5. The art's outstanding. Garth Ennis, I, I mean, he's born to write the Punisher. I'm sorry, Garth. You should just do this the rest of your life. Great, great book. I, again, I'm not a fan of the Punisher as a character, but I love a good Punisher story, and nobody tells it like Garth Ennis. Yeah, highly recommend Punisher Mother Russia, issue number two. I give it, well, like I said, if you're a Punisher fan, it's a five. If you're not a Punisher fan, it's 4.5. Get reprints of number one and pick up number two. Well worth your money on both. That's and that, you know, that's Garth Ennis. And, and to be honest, Garth Ennis can be hit or miss, but he's never missed on the Punisher, in my opinion. That brings us to Immortal Hulk number 28. We had a guest artist on it this week. Two artists. Yeah, Tom Riley and Matthias Bergera. Mm -hmm. Of course, Al Ewing is still writing Immortal Hulk. Albert, what's your take on it? Fantastic. A continuation of how Roxxon does stuff and how they sort of play both sides of the coin to sort of to make money on the side, even though making money on the side is selling Hulk masks for the, the protesters and all that. I thought that was a good angle on that. And I thought that the Hulk masks, if you look at the Hulk masks, they're the same Hulk masks that were out in the early 70s. Yeah. The cheap little Hulk masks with the red lips on them, though. Yeah, they're that's, kind of freaky looking. Yeah, they remind me, and we used, and they still made them up in the eighties because if it was off season, you could buy them. We'd yeah. buy them for like super cheap off season and, and and just wear them for fun. A lot of them were like those really crappy costumes. It was pretty much a cheap plastic mask, and what it mattered to, I think, was like a painted up garbage sack. But you know that that exact format for those costumes back then, which started way back in the late fifties. As soon as cheap plastic became readily available, it was one of those cheap costumes called the Spider, which inspired Steve Ditko's Spider-Man design. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, at least basically just the webbing. Yeah, and yeah. you can you can find this stuff online. No, he didn't rip off the Spider-Man design, but you can see where he got the idea for some of the costume. He got the inspiration for it. Seeing that Hulk mask with those red lips, I laughed out loud. I prefer the regular artist on it, so I did go down in grade to a three on the art. I gave the writing a five. I gave the dynamic a five. This is a heck of a book. This is probably book of the year right here. I'll give the art a four. I thought the art, art fit very well, but yeah, the writing and dynamics are still easily a five. So look, if you had to pick book of the year between Immortal Hulk and Jimmy Olsen, 
Uh, hey, I tell you what, just save it and we'll do a book of the year on the last broadcast. Okay. okay. All right. So get to thinking about it. We still got Doomsday Clock Issue 12 next week. So That's exactly right. We, and Tim Bryant will be joining us next week as well. So we'll have to take Doomsday Clock, Immortal Hulk, Jimmy Olsen's Second Coming, your Undiscovered Country, a number of them into consideration. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll work that out between me and you and then we'll count down and uh, do a, a special New Year's Eve episode, book of the year. All right. Well, that brings us out of Marvel and into the DC universe. And dare I say it, this has been a hella good Batman week. (laughs) Yeah, there was more. I think I read four Batman books this week. There was White Knight number five by Sean Murphy. Just strictly counting Batman. Batman the Grave, Detective... White Knight, there was Dark Knight, Golden Child, there was Detective, and there was Batman Graves number three. Yeah, let's start off with Dark Knight Returns, Golden Child. Yeah, that's that's whatever that book is. Well, written by Frank Miller, and art by who? I think it's pronounced Grandpa or something. Grandpa? I'm not sure properly how to pronounce pronounce it, but he's an utterly fantastic artist. No. He doesn't do a ton of... He doesn't do a ton of work, but he is amazing. I'm here to tell you this book is worth the price of admission for that artwork alone. Yeah. I'm going to be going back over his stylization, and it's it's reminiscent of Frank Miller, but it's beyond Frank Miller at his best. Yeah. And I don't say that lightly. Frank Miller is an outstanding artist, especially on the original Dark Knight and 300 and several other things he did Sin City. This gentleman on uh, Golden Child, Wow knocks it out of the park worth the price of admission i think this is a little bit more of a pricey book but it is worth the price of admission for this artwork by itself yeah and, the writing uh, is ain't the best but yeah his artwork's amazing especially like the the arcade scene yeah oh yeah where, where it went black and everything was just utter, was completely fantastic I, we cannot i cannot give enough kudos to the artist on dark knight returns golden child miller was all over the place here's what i've I've learned about reading miller over the years it seems like it seems like he is very much a left-wing and liberal but mm. he's very pro-military you see Whenever you read his stuff, it seems like whenever he describes things like how it was when 9-11 happened and he was, I think he was in New York City at the time, that's where he lives anyway, he is completely okay with the U.S. military turning countries into glass parking lots if need be. He is. He's, you know, I don't even classify him. I don't know what his politics are because he's so diverse in the stories he tells. And I don't really care. What I care about is his consistency. And he was not as consistent in this one issue as I felt that he was with his Superman year one story that had uh, completed a few months back, a couple of months back. It really did. It was jilting back and forth. It seemed he was arguing two sides against the middle. What really pulls this book out is the artwork. Yeah, it's Frank Miller, so I'm going to give... It's a coherent story, you can tell, but it's almost like he leaves some ideas out on the field. Like the way he wrote Dark Side? Yeah. But yeah. beyond that, I didn't give a... Like, the rest of it's just... Well, you see, that's where I justify giving him a three yeah. for the writing. But really, don't buy this for the story, buy it for the artwork. I give the writing a three, I give the artwork a six. <laughs> Yeah, a top-notch artwork five. And I give the dynamic a two because we keep visiting this reality, and I really don't know how much more we have to say here. Get this artist on other books. My scores are, I gave, like, the writing a one. Okay. And I gave the art and dynamic, I guess, 
arc dynamic of five. I'm okay with the universe. I just, it's sort of like your argument. I don't see the point of us go, ever having to really have to go back to it. Well, that's it. I feel by the Dark Knight universe the way I feel about Old Man Logan. I think we've done everything we can do here and and go forward. But also at the same time, these are wonderful characters to see Grandpa draw. And I was very much taken with that artwork. So well, that, yeah, you, like when you when you think about things like Old Man Logan and Dark Knight Returns, now those are definitive takes and stories on those characters. Mm-hmm. And anything that came after those stories in those timelines, they're always just going to be in the shadow of those books, no matter yeah. how good they are or how different they are. If they're in that timeline, they're just in the shadow, and it hurts the books. Whether they're good or bad, it'll hurt the books because of that. I'm with you on that, and that's a good way to look at it. You know, I was on board with Old Man Hawkeye, but by the time we get to Old Man Quill, it was really kind of wearing on me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's the same way with this. But all right, moving along, Batman book number two this week. Let's talk about Detective Comics 1017 by Tom Taylor and Fernando Blanco, a new team on Detective Comics. And it seems, it feels like it takes place after the major story arc going on in Batman right now by Tom. Yeah, they, there's no Alfred, but Fox is there, and they don't sort of, they, they just don't reference it or bring it up. It's just, yeah. there's Fox and no Alfred. This book kicked butt. They're, they're still keeping I, the, yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was it's one of the stories that they, they do on occasion that where it's like Bruce Wayne can go out and do a whole lot of things that Batman's not able to do. And this illustrated it well and Damien was very well written. What was the the story revolves around one of the Wayne orphanages and Damien says something about him taking an interest in all these kids intimating that but you're not taking an interest in me and then he says something along the lines of and it also bothers me that you've got a you've got several orphanages stocked full of potential robins <laughs> yeah we'll talk about that later he yeah, says well, something like that okay we'll, we'll talk about this robin factory you got going or something so, yeah. now, damien was not cool with with all these replacements running around <laughs> yeah these possible replacements detective seems to be sticking to that one or two issue story arc situation this was this was a one-shot issue one yeah. story one self-contained it was a hell of a batman story it was, it was a great it was a great little verse wayne issue yeah i give the writing a five i give the art a four and i give the dynamic a four so a 4.5 definitely worth your money and uh still detective still is the best in continuity bat book out there yeah. and, and that's that's my score too yeah and like if you just want a one issue story that's that's just a great a great Batman story. You can just pick this up and read it. You don't have to worry about continuity or anything else. Batman book number three this week, Batman's Grave, number three by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. Talk about great lines. Yeah. Ellis is telling a story illustrating to you that, look, this story can be told. He can be more of a detective than he can a boxing champ. And also, this is fairly early in his career. He's, he's, not, he's not used to or, or, or quite have all the proper gadgets on hand to do with people can get deal the deal with on people him. that are above the average human physical. People can get the drop on him. People can yeah. get the better of him. The dynamic between him and Alfred in this and some of Alfred's lines. Yeah. I, I mean, this is wonderful character development. It's a wonderful Batman story. It is reminiscent of the Neil Adams classic Batman stories. It really and truly is to me the the whole mystery angle. 
the fact that he's being a detective in this. Uh, it's it's nice to see, and it's refreshing to see. And to me, this is probably the best work Hitch has done since Ultimates. Oh, God, yeah. The art's wonderful in it. It's, very, mean, it's, it's very dynamic. Go back and read Ultimates. Look at how he draws someone like Quicksilver, how they're always sort of in motion. Yeah. Like when they're jumping or leaping and like, you know, he bring he does that here. So it's very cinematic and very, very good. He takes his time. He knows what he's doing. The characters emote. The characters, you can easily tell. You can just glance at the page, tell the story. And that's great art. Uh, for That's great comic book art. Yeah. That was Batman book number three. Batman book number four, and in my opinion, the best of the week, and that's saying something, is Batman White Knight number five by Sean Murphy, writing and art. This book is surrealistically wonderful. This book delivers. Yes, it does. does. It never disappoints. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm beginning to think that this follow-up to his first volume of The White Knight, I'm beginning to think this is a case where the sequel is greater than the original. The first volume was really top-notch stuff. Get Sean Murphy on Batman in continuity Batman. I don't necessarily need him doing writing and art because, dear Lord, that'll take forever. Sean Murphy works like five or six issues ahead. Yeah. yeah. On a book like this, you pretty much have to. Oh, dear Lord, the detail. And I love that they put his pencils for the next issues and back. Yeah. That you can tell what's, you know, you can see him work. And his pencils are ever bit as detailed as the finished product, just not colored. <laughs> In my opinion, Batman White Knight, we've said it before, I'll say it again, that's a five. And that's also contender for book of the year. Straight yeah. across five. Yeah, that and Batman's grave are, are straight fives to me. Yeah, what, well, I, what in God's name are they going to do for a book three of, of White Knight? Well, I don't know. But, I mean, he's not short of ideas. He utilizes Batman mythos. Yeah, to its utmost. So I'm completely taken with him. Batman White Knight, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And this has been a hell of a week for Batman books. I don't really think you can go, well, you can go a little wrong with Dark Knight Returns, Golden Child, One Shot, so far as the writing's concerned. But like I said, the art is worth the price of admission. Yeah, yeah on that one, the art, you, you, you don't even have to read it. You can just flip through it and look the art. Yeah, it's a good week to be a Batman fan. Yeah. Okay, Albert, and before we get to what we think is the book deserving to end the podcast on, before we get to it, let's do a couple of honorary mentions. Tell us a little bit about Dollhouse Family Number 2. Issue 2 is really very good. You get a little bit more involved about exactly what that room in that little dollhouse could do. And when it goes to the things that take place in the past, which I assume are the origins of the dollhouse, finally seeing where it all came from. I really enjoy this book. I think anyone that wants sort of a horror comic or, or like an old style Vertigo book or something should really give this book a shot. So I gave the writing a five. I gave the art a four and the dynamic a four on this book. Outstanding. Okay. And since we're doing special shout outs, I'm going to give a special out, shout out to Peter David's Spider-Man Symbiote. As always, with Peter David, great humor in it. And it's also a weird, whacked out, Doctor Strange has screwed up Spider-Man's reality book. Basically, what happens is in the middle of a fight with Craven, suddenly Craven's not quite the Craven Spider-Man remembers and is Spider-Man's buddy. And they were teaming up against somebody. And also, suddenly, the Spider-Buggy's back, all to the complete and total astonishment of the amazing Spider-Man. And then he finds out that the Hobgoblin has somehow become the Sorcerer Supreme. At the end of it, he does find a down-and-out Stephen Strange, and things 
start to make a little bit of sense. I do recommend this book. It's interesting. It's Peter David. It's entertaining. I give the writing a four. I give the art a four. I give the dynamic a four. This book is four across the board for me. And that brings us to the book we're going to end on this week. Superman number 18, where Superman reveals to everybody, for what is by my count the fourth time in continuity, his secret identity, his Clark Kent. There's one good page in this comic and the rest of it's crap as far as I'm concerned. Really? Now, this is written by Bendis, and the art's done by Joe Prado and Reese. Elaborate. Go ahead. Tell us. The one good page has no Bendis dialogue on it, and it's when Superman reveals his identity to Perry White. I thought that was a very, very well-done page. I thought that was nice. That could work work even without the the reveal of the identity to the public. It's just sort of... There's no dialogue. He just goes, you just see him go into this office and, and they talk and he does the shirt thing and shows them. And then Perry gets up and hugs him and that's it. That sort of, I thought that was a, a great scene with or without this comic. That, that's a great scene. The rest of this comic, I don't care. I don't know what they're thinking as far as showing his identity to the public. They show the villains, but if I was a villain, the first thing I would do, I'd just drop a nuke on Daily Planet and be done with it. <laughs> And who knows when this book takes place because... Because Lex you know, is not Apex Lex. Yes, he, yes, he, tra- he, he transforms. Oh, does he? I think, if I remember right, I think it shows him transforming into normal Lex, but he's got the Legion of Doom with him, too. Okay, now that was my main problem with it, because we don't know exactly where or what's going on in any of this stuff. But look, I, I'm not going to go as hard on it. I laughed all the way through it. It, it, it was the serious parts were not as good. It was all the justification for it. You can toss the justification out of the window because it comes across as Bendis explaining to us why he is having Superman do this. But the Adam Strange dialogue, the Jimmy Olsen dialogue, even the dialogue between Lois and Superman, I thought was engaging and funny. So it did it did make me smile a bit. But I don't buy any of the justification for it. And it's okay. Look, if he wants the world to know that, you know, Superman is Clark Kent, that's fine. Superman is Clark Kent. But the majority of this book is Bendis explaining to us why Bendis has chose to do this. It's not anything that hasn't been done before, but it's all going to lie in what happens in future stories. What good stories can we get out of this? Why aren't they nuking the Daily Planet? Why aren't the bad guys? First thing I would have done. Because you remember like in Kingdom Come? Yeah. You know, Lois died and it was simply because Joker walked up in in the Daily Planet and gassed the place. Yeah, you know, that's all it took. You know, that's all it took to kill Lois and the planet was just someone just walking in there and doing it while Superman was out of town. Like, like well, why would you? Why would he risk everyone like this? It always seems to be Joker that figures this out in all the alternate realities in the Injustice video game and comic book series. It's always Joker that figures out. Ah, Superman really likes Lois Lane and the people in the Daily Planet. If you go back to Killing Joke. It's just Joker just going, you know what? I know where these people live. I'll just go to their house and shoot them. What's the point of, of you know, we can do big elaborate plans, but they'll never expect you just knocking on their door, walking into where they work and, <laughs> we and can blowing play. it up or gassing it or shooting people and taking their clothes off and taking naked pictures of them. Like, who expects that to happen? Yeah. Who wants to play chess when you can do paper, rock, scissors? Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I, I wasn't as hard on Bendis in this issue because he did have that, that line from Adam Strange about Superman telling him, I have a secret identity. And Adam Strange looks at him and says, oh, my God, you're also Batman. 
Yes, it's an old joke, but it was it, it, it was a little bit of character there. I gave the writing a three. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a one. I gave the art a four. I thought they did a fantastic job, and I really liked the page from the art perspective. I really liked the page where he's on where he's where he's about to do the announcement. It has all those people just sort of swarmed up with their holding microphones and everything toward them. That yeah. that view and angle and really really good. So I give yes, the art a four. I give the the writing and dynamic a one because I just think it's stupid. In other words, if you're a Superman fan, go ahead and pick it up. But this is not the book that's selling out on the shelves this week. That's another book, and that's going to bring us to... We've got time for two listener emails tonight. Is that okay with you, Albert? Yeah. We're going to round this out. Our first comes from Scott Carter. Stan seems to be under the impression that someone has been making Superman movies starring the guy that was in the Man from U.N.C.L.E. reboot. The last Superman movie starred Brandon Ruth and was called Superman Returns in 2006. It was not that great, but it had some really good scenes. Given how great the Wonder Woman movie it was, it's surprising that there haven't been more DC movies. (laughs) Aquaman was okay, but way too busy. Given the success of The Avengers... It's very surprising that DC has not made a Justice League movie or Superman movies. Wouldn't it be great to get a Superman-Batman movie? Okay, Scott, I'm not walking into this trap. (laughs) We appreciate it and we miss you too, but apparently you moving up to the frozen north, as you put it, has frozen your brain. (laughs) Thank you, Scott, for writing that. He had Batman drinking alcohol in that movie. (laughs) He's drinking like whiskey and bourbon. Like, what the hell's that? God. I can understand wine or, you know, or, or champagne at a party, but not like, not, not whiskey and bourbon. <laughs> Depends on the sort of bat day Batman has had. <laughs> Our next email comes from Grant, and Grant writes, Hey y'all, something I've been wondering about for a while. At this point, will the end of Doomsday Clock even matter? It seems like the original intention of Doomsday Clock was to bring an end to the whole new 52 rebirth era of DC and tie continuity together, ushering in a new era where everything can at least start out on the same page. But now, with everything going on in Batman, Justice League, Year of the Villain, it seems like the reason Doomsday Clock got pushed back is because they saw what was going on and decided to save Doomsday Clock's ending to undo anything currently going on in continuity. I worry that if this is the case, the story will suffer from editorial interference, or on the other hand, suffer because it will be all up to Jeff Johns to pick up the pieces and fix everything he can. This may not be the case at all. I have really enjoyed it so far and hope the ending is just as great as the rest of the series. I just can't help but think that Doomsday Clock has gone through changes throughout its various delays unless there is some other reason I am unaware about why it's taken so long. Well, Grant, Doomsday Clock at this point suffers from the same situation that the Watchmen HBO series suffers from. I got a hell of a lot of things to cover in that last issue and episode. Also, if you look at it like this, Doomsday Clock roughly almost shipped once every two months. The delays were at least consistent, and like you know, a lot of that had to do with probably Gary Frank and his art. My theory is that when Doomsday Clock hits, it'll be like a bomb going off, and we'll get a bunch of announcements from it after it hits. They teased that 5G timeline without officially showing it or anything. Uh, if you go to Jeff John's website, he's we know he's doing three Jokers with Faybach, and, and Faybach is awfully far along on that book. We also know 
that they still list that kill zone event of his, which may be part of 5G or something. I don't know. I really think when next week happens, we're going to get a whole lot more out of it than just a, a conclusion to Dr. Manhattan meets Superman. Grant, I'm going to say this. We're bringing Tim Bryan on for the just for this reason, the doomsday clock situation. Tim Bryant is big time D.C., a comics guy here in Alabama. So far as my opinion on this, I'm going to have to, we've only got one more week. I'm going to wait and I'll answer your question next week. <laughs> I'm chickening out, Grant. <laughs> but I have high hopes for this too. I, I kind of lean toward what Albert is saying. It's going to be a lot to pack into that one issue. Because you got to think that book's been delayed and everything and not, as of right now, we're a week away and, and nothing's leaked on that finale. Yeah. It yeah, may, that's it may it. leak over the week. It's going to leak next Tuesday, no matter what. Possibly Monday, I'd imagine. Mm -hmm. So far, it's all hush-hush for the time being. Yep, 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 yep. Our final email comes from Auburn Joe. Hey, Auburn Joe's having a good year. <laughs> I'm not going to make an Affleck joke, I swear. Okay, Auburn Joe asks, This is less a question and more a complaint against idiocy. Well, we're off to a great start. People are going crazy buying Miles Morales 13 because a dang baby was born. I guess my question is, what the hell? It has a bit to do with this app that runs around and tells you squirrel girls. I, I've used the squirrel jo girl joke too much. She-Hulk has a new bikini. Okay, so grab up all the issues of this week's She-Hulk because the bikini is a certain color and it's ridiculous. What happened in Miles Morales 13 this week is the birth of his baby sister, Billy Maria Morales, I believe is her name. So naturally, if you're born into the Marvel Universe and sister to a superhero, that's got to be significant, right? So everybody's running in and grabbing those books because that app's telling them to. Here's the deal, Auburn Joe. Makes it real difficult on the people that enjoy collecting comics for the stories and the sake of having a collection. This secondary market where we where people run in, grab them up, and try to eBay them as quick as possible because they think they've got a return on it. They create false demand on it, and that false demand, as we've seen on many, many, many countless issues, especially in the last two years, it just doesn't hold up runs at best, the average is now maybe three days. You've got websites out there saying, so-and-so just hit $100. One copy of it hit $100. And by that website doing that, everybody just floods the website, and then that automatically devalues it. Just a nasty aspect to the comic book collecting side of things. Yeah, that's my view on it. I just don't, I don't get the point of it. I mean, it's a book that came out this week. Got no real monetary value on cover price as far as I'm concerned. It, it was a good story. Miles Morales is a good comic book. It's got a great writer on it. Enjoy it for the story. Don't worry about, you know, who's born in it or who's not or anything like that. Well, okay, that's going to round things up for this week. We appreciate it greatly. We hope you've enjoyed this. Albert, you got anything to say? No, not really. <laughs> Been a hell of a birthday for you, hasn't it, man? <laughs> Here, I'm going to ask this. Not only do we continue to ask for your Gmails, and I, I know we didn't get to a few of you this week, both in Media Mess, which got posted earlier this week, and this week's episode, and I promise we will get around to answering you either personally, 
through Gmail online or on the podcast, so be patient with us. I'm going to ask that y'all send your suggestions in for 2019's Book of the Year for Albert and I to count down on the on the week of New Year's Eve. So you got any suggestions for that? Let us hear it. You got any questions? Like I said before, we took a question about whether or not a lightsaber can cut through Hulk. We'll take any question and just be patient with us about getting it on the air. We appreciate y'all greatly. Kingdomcasts at gmail.com. That's kingdom, C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com. Also, Kingdomcasts fan page on Facebook. Again, Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S on Facebook. And KingdomComics at gmail.com and KingdomComics on Facebook as well. And of course, we're on Twitter, both as KingdomCasts and KingdomComics. Again, we've had another great week. The posting media mess earlier this week and inside of 24 hours, we broke the previous record for listeners. And we cannot thank you enough. We enjoy this greatly and we're glad that there seems to be a base out there enjoying it as well. So please recommend us to your friends. Send us your questions, your comments, your suggestions, anything. We'll be here next week for you. And we got Star Wars stuff coming up too. So hot damn. (laughs) You excited, Albert? Uh, Next week? Yeah, Star Wars is next week, Albert. Uh, I forgot. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> All right. So I, guess I, I, I guess I'll go watch it and watch the other eight of them. <laughs> well, since you're so committed. All right. I'll only tell them 30, oh. 40 years to get them all out. <laughs> but it's 40 years of nothing but quality. <laughs> I don't know about that. All right, Albert. Tell them good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.